Thank you for listening to our Love City Church podcast. Visit us online at www.lovecitychurch.ca. We pray that this message encourages you and strengthens you in your walk with Jesus. So my name is James. Uh, this here is Jesse. We form part of the leadership team at Love City Church. And uh, Pastor Ryan and Stephanie have given us the honor of continuing on in this series. So we just want to speak blessing over Pastor Ryan and Stephanie as they're still on vacation. Uh, they're visiting the, the head network church that's down in, in Vacaville with a few other leaders. And they're feeling inspired. They're getting uh, refreshed. They're feeling rejuvenated. So we want to, uh, we're being honored by them by being allowed to speak today. And we want to honor them as they're out there, and we want to speak a prayer of safety over their trip so they come back home uh, safely. So Jesse and I are going to tag team this uh, sermon today. I'm going to talk for a bit, and then she's going to talk for a bit. So like we mentioned, uh, we're doing the part of the series, God is Involved. God is involved, amen. How many of you guys are loving this series? I will say this. I have been uh, using it in weird contexts. Like I was in Lloyd Minster last weekend for my wife's um, niece's wedding, and not to knock Lloyd Minster or anything, but uh, I was like, oh, it's the wedding, but there's not going to be much happening in Lloyd Minster. I'm going, what, what, what's out in Lloyd Minster, really? And we pull up to the hotel, and there's a, kid you not, there's a stone's throw. There's a Popeye's chicken down, uh, just a stone's throw. And then two steps, there's a Brown Social Club. And across the street, there's a Carl's Jr. and a Starbucks. And I'm going, and I texted a whole bunch of people that same moment. I was like, guys, guys, you don't understand. Hashtag God is involved in Lloyd Minster. <laughs> You don't know. God is involved in Lloyd Minster right now. Um, I don't think that's what the series is about. <laughs> I've, been, I've been using it on that way. So let's, uh, let's dive right in. Have you ever experienced a moment like this? You're at a beach looking at a sunset or sunrise over the ocean, or you're at the top of a mountain skiing or hiking, and you look around at the beautiful landscape and sense the awe of creation. How many of you guys have ever done that? Been at that? You probably felt that. You were engaged at the top of a mountain. And you look around and you sense the awe of creation. I sense that when, whenever I go skiing with my family. Man, I just, uh, when you're at the top of a, of a lift and all you hear is the wind whipping past your face and you see the snow drift past. Um, or this. Next slide. You're miles away from this city. You look up at the stars, and once your eyes settle, you see the vastness of the night sky and felt the overwhelming, overwhelming feeling of, I am so small in this vast universe. Have you ever caught yourself in moments like these, and you start feeling how small we are in, in, uh, in uh, reference to uh, the grand scope of life? These moments make it hard to feel, hard to see or understand God's involvement in our lives. You start asking questions like, why is, why is God involved in my life? Or if he, is, if he is involved, why does he stay involved in my life? I'm not that important, right? Have you guys ever felt like that? Have you ever, have you ever felt like your life is too insignificant to have God involved? Too small to have God involved in your life. This can, always, this can often leave us feeling like our decisions on how we live our life doesn't matter who we're in relationships with, where we work, where we live, what we're gonna do the next day. You may feel like there's no significance in the grand scale of things, because maybe, maybe there are times when you feel your life doesn't matter that much. Have you ever felt that? I know that's a little bit of a deep question, but have you ever felt that? The truth is, next slide, the truth is our lives and the way we live our lives actually do matter. 
For we are a chosen generation. You want to put your hand on your heart again? For we are a chosen generation. The way we live our lives does matter. How we choose to live our lives has a definite impact on God navigating us towards what he has for our lives. In Romans 8.28, it says, And we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose. That means we matter. That means our lives matter. That means he's using us. God is involved, just like our series is called. He's involved in everyone's life. Next slide. But he loves to set up those who are fully surrendered to him. As we saw in the last few weeks, Ruth gave her life to God. She, rendered, she surrendered her life's agenda for the life God had for her. She gave up the life of Moab for the life in Judah, a life serving Naomi, a life serving God. So now in response to this, God wants to set her up and get her closer to the legacy that he has for her. How many of you are excited for that? I got knowing that God wants to set you up for the legacy that he has for you. So the next slide. He is often involved in our lives in ways we don't even realize. He sets us up for fruitfulness all the time, and we don't realize it. He sets us up with relationships. He sets us up with job opportunities. He sets us up with friendships. He sets us up with, with, with uh, other kinds of relationship. He sets us up, and not in a bad way, like, oh, he set me up. No, like a good setup, like a like a, not a blind date setup, but like a really good setup, like your wingman, like, like he's setting you up for really good success here. But he sets us up by his sovereignty with moments of favor and grace in our lives. And he pours out this grace in our lives. And we know this because we're going to see this in the Bible um, with the text in Ruth that we're going to study in a little bit. Okay? So let's go to the next slide. What does the Bible teach us up about these setup moments? So uh, next slide, Dallas. We're going to read Ruth. Uh, chapter 2, verse 1 to 2. It says, Now Naomi had a rich relative named Boaz from Elimelech's family. One day, Ruth the Moabite said to Naomi, I am going to the fields. Maybe somebody will be kind enough to let me gather the grain he leaves behind. So Naomi said, Go, my daughter. Go to the next slide, Dallas. Ruth knew that she had to go out there and do something. As we talked about in the series, we have a part to play in this journey of life and on our walk with God. Ruth chose to serve. Ruth chose to work hard. She chose to go out there and do something and not sit in despair or sadness or pain, but she got up and she got going. She realized, I need to go do something. I need to go to the fields. You're probably asking, or sometimes we have to take practical, wise steps to get something working in our lives. You're probably asking, well, how do I know that God is telling me to do this? Or how do I know that God is asking me to do that? First response, he's giving you a brain. Use it. I once heard a pastor tell me that in the absence of hearing God's very, very loud voice speaking to you, you use the common sense that he gave you. He gave that to you, right? He created you in his image. He created common sense. That's something in your nature. Use that. We often know what we need to do, but we don't do it. We have to choose to serve. We have to choose to get in the game. We have to choose to take practical steps towards the life that God wants for us. So Ruth went to work. She went to the fields. 
In verse 3, go to the next slide. So in verse 3, Ruth went to the fields. She followed the workers who were cutting the grain. And the work, uh, she, she followed the workers cutting the grain uh, that had left behind. It just so happened, it just so happened that the field belonged to Boaz from Elimelech's family. She went out to the fields. She went up. She got what she needed to do. My mom used to tell me um, when I was uh, in my gap year between college years or whatever, um, my mom told me once, you're not going to find a job sitting on the couch. <laughs> right? That's just common sense. Oh, I need some money. Uh, you're not going to find it sitting on the couch. Yeah, but I don't really want to work at McDonald's. Yeah, you're not going to find it sitting on the couch. Right? Ruth didn't know which one field to go specifically into. We don't see in the scriptures that she had even a direction to go into. There must have been hundreds of fields to glean in. She, might, she could have gone in any direction. She could have gone north, west, east, south, any direction. She could have thought about, oh, the situation she was in because she was a widow. Uh, she maybe have thought, maybe there are other, other widows that are going to be at the same field. Maybe it's going to be a little bit of a competition thing, trying to jostle for all the, all the stuff that's left over. That could have been a discouraging thing. We don't see that in the scripture. We don't see her asking, well, God, is this the field I should be going into? We don't see that in the scripture at all. What we see her doing is going into the field and working, right? What we don't know, so uh, what we do see is that she acknowledges there's a need. She has to go out and do something. And at the end of verse 3, it says, it just so happened that she was working in Boaz's field. Somehow she found work in Boaz's field. We'll get to that in a little bit later. Maybe it was the closest field. Maybe it was the one that was most appealing. Maybe there was, maybe there was like a whole bunch of cute guys there, and she was like, well, I'm a widow. There's some cute guys. I'm going to go to that field. Shout out to all the single people in the room. Are there any single people in the room? Shout out to all the single people in the room. We don't know what drew her to that field. We don't know why she stepped onto that field. What we do know is that in her eyes, going to Boaz's field was a coincidence. It was probably set up by chance. But in God's eyes, in God's eyes, purpose. Purpose. All right, so let's go to the next slide. Let's look at this term, it just so happened. When we think about it just so happened, we would think, oh, it's probably an accident or it's by chance. Something that just fell into my lap. Merriam-Webster describes the phrase as being used to describe something that occurs by chance. The American Dictionary defines that phrase uh, as being used for saying that, is, uh, that something is true, although it is surprising. I like that definition better because it speaks as though our encounters in life are less by chance and more about divine appointment and order. God has ordered your steps, amen? Why don't you turn to somebody next to you and say, there's no such thing as chance. Turn to the person on your other side and say, God is involved. <laughs> Go to the next slide. That's how grace works. As we talked about in week two, his grace is always trying to find us. God finds a way to just so happen in your life. My life was going nowhere. I was just serving, and it just so happened. I was poor. 
I was living humbly. And then it just so happened. I was just living my life serving, submitting, and wanting God's will for my life. And it just so happened that this opportunity dropped. So happened. Right? What are your it just so happened moments, if you can think of any? What are some moments that you think God has been involved in your life? It just so happened. I'll give you an example of mine, and this will relate to Pastor Ryan and Stephanie. It just so happened, my sister was Pastor Ryan's uh, uh, admin a few, uh, few churches ago. It just so happened a couple of years later that they came back to Calgary, and they, and they met up with some friends of ours, and we saw them, and, and there's little baby Brea crawling across my wife's lap, and, and, uh, and Stephanie going, oh, your wife loves children, it's a sign. Um, it just so happened a couple of years later, they ended up back in Calgary at a church I was serving at. And they didn't have a church to go to. And, we, and Alana and I talked to them. And we thought, you know what, Pastor Ryan would be great for this church because they're still looking for a pastor. And it just so happened they took the position. It just so happened I continued leading for them. And it just so happened that we had to pick a base for worship. So I had to go get a base. It ended up being fixed. I ended up going to Long and McQuaid, the music store, to get it fixed. And it just so happened on the counter of Long and McQuaid, there's a job opening. Just so happened I applied for that job. I found out later. It just so happened the system was busted when that application process went up. Only one person applied. That was me. Nobody else applied for that. It just so happened that as I continue in that job now, that I was able to open up an account for the church in this new setting, and all this stuff came from my store. It just so happened that God is working in all those moments. What are some of those moments in your life when God is working and you don't know it? Or maybe you don't feel it. Come on. One of those should be your spouse. Right? It just so happened I found myself. Yeah. Amen. Think about these just-so-happened moments in your life. They dropped into your life by accident. And out of nowhere, they have been a large part of fulfilling the call of God on your life. You may not think of it right now, but you may be experiencing it just-so-happened moments right now. <laughs> you may be experiencing something right now, and you may not even know it. That's the scary part. You may not know it. That's the scary part. You may completely miss it. Did you know that these moments can be missed? Oh my goodness. Moments like this can be missed because we're not living by God's grace, because we, get, we neglect to recognize that God's at work in your life. We choose to grumble, we choose to complain. Well, this isn't where, no, God has you where you're supposed to be so he can set up the just-so-happened moments. Amen? amen? Come on, amen? amen? We are too focused most of the time on us and our wants that we forget God is at work navigating us every day towards what he wants for us. Ruth ending up in Boaz's field was a divine setup. Amen? amen. Somebody turn to somebody next to you and say, divine setup. All right, in that next slide, we're going to read here in Matthew 6, 28. It says, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things. Somebody say, all these things. All these things will be added to you. When we fully surrender our lives to him, 
all these things are going to be added unto us. When we humble ourselves and start working towards what God wants for us, he'll put you in circumstances that will be only from God. It's not anything we deserve either. Only what he gives us because we respond to his grace and his calling. It's called God's favor. Can you say that with me? God's favor. On Ephesians 1, verse 3 to 6, on the next slide, it says, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with, what's that next word? Every, every spiritual blessing. Not some, every. Every spiritual blessing in Christ. For he chose us in him. Somebody say chosen generation. Chosen, generation. chosen us in him before the creation of the world, to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love, he predestined us for adoption to sonship through Christ, Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will. Do you guys see those two words there? Pleasure and will. That's what he wants, and that's what he likes. That's what he wants. He wants that success for us. He wants us to receive those blessings. He wants us to receive those joys. He wants us to receive those moments where he sets us up. And the last verse, it says, to the praise of his glorious grace, which he has freely given us in the one he loves. This glorious grace that it talks about in verse 6 is also known as unmerited favor, as in we don't deserve it. There's nothing we could have done to deserve it. In the next slide, Ephesians 2, verse 8, it says, for it is by grace you have been saved through faith. This is not of yourselves. What is it? It is a... Come on, everybody say, it is a gift. gift from God. These moments of setup are a gift from God. He wants to set you up. He wants to give you it just so happened moments. He is actively pursuing you and wants to lavish every spiritual blessing on you. His grace, like we learned in week two, his grace is actively trying to find you and seek you out. Amen? Amen. Chosen generation. Just then, Boaz arrived. In Ruth, verse, uh, Ruth chapter 2, verse 4, it says, Just then Boaz arrived from Bethlehem and greeted the harvester, harvesters. The Lord be with you, and the Lord bless you. I often sound like, I think that sounds like a, like a Catholic kind of thing, that the Lord be with you, and also with you. Oh, some of you are Catholic in this room. There we go. So Naomi, it turns out in there that Naomi has a wealthy relative by the name of Boaz. In Ruth 2 verse 1, we know that he is, we see that he's a wealthy and influential man in Bethlehem. His name is Boaz and he's a relative of Naomi's late husband, Elimelech. Boaz doesn't have a wife, hallelujah, doesn't have anything but lots of cash in estates, hallelujah. He is a business, come on, all the single ladies went, hallelujah. He has a great reputation in the community, and he just so happens to step onto his field that day. He was well off, and yet he had the background that was a little bit sketchy, a little bit embarrassing. His mother was Rahab. In Jericho, verse 2, the prostitute in Jericho that, that gave shelter the two Israeli spies, that was Rahab. She was a prostitute. He was likely not expecting to find Ruth in his field either. This is where you see the sovereign God diligently at work. In verse 5, 
it says, Boaz asked the overseer of his harvester, harvesters, who does that young woman belong to? Boaz noticed her while she was working hard, living a humble life, serving her new mother-in-law, and putting God's agenda first. Can you imagine? Have you ever, for those of you that have ever mowed your lawn or gone to, uh, gone to work in your garden, you're working the weeds, and, and you're, you're probably in your sweatpants and your, in your grubby shirt, and you're working away, and you got, shirt in, you, got, you got dirt on your shirt, and you've probably got your hair up tied up, and it's probably not the best-looking thing. You've got, you got sweat stains pouring, forming up in your shirt, and, and it's, it's not the best look, and you're like, oh, this is, this is what I imagine Ruth is doing gleaning the fields, folks. This is her, like, oh, oh looking haggard. Can you imagine doing that on your front lawn while you're working your, your flower bed or you're working away and you're looking haggard as, 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 as much as you can be? And then, all the, out of nowhere, there's a young rich man with like great influence and no wife and, and, and he's got cash in the States and he just strolls up and he's like, what? Whoa, who is that? I imagine that like she's she's working the field and it's like and then there's like he walks in and there's like this chariots of fire moment and so she's looking haggard but she's like but he's like oh her hair's like blowing in the wind and it's just a different moment for them so Boaz asks who is this girl who is she he notices her imagine this while you were working hard, while you were living a humble life, while you were serving others, while you were putting God's agenda first, while you were having a great attitude, God is noticing you. God's noticing you. Your boss is noticing you for a promotion. Your teacher is noticing you for, for a recommendation. Your future spouse is noticing you. A future promise is noticing you. A humble servant's heart will never go unnoticed by God. And he wants to honor you. The quote says, there's a quote that's out there that says, do it all for the audience of one. Colossians 3.17 says, and do whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving, him thanks, giving thanks to God the Father through him. In Ruth 2, verse uh, 6, next slide, the foreman replied, so Boaz asks, who is this woman? And, Boaz, uh, and the foreman replies, she is the Moabitess who came from Moab with Naomi. She said, please let me glean and gather among the sheaves behind the harvesters. She went into the field and has worked steadily from morning till now, except for a short rest in the shelter. That foreman told Boaz what she did and said she's working hard. She's a Moabitess who came from Moab with Naomi. The foreman knew exactly who she was and where she came from. But he also does a little bit of a setup in the mix. And remember, it was against Mosaic law to even associate with people from Moab, to associate with Moabites. They were the enemies of Israel and God. But this foreman is tied into, into God's divine setup. We should call him a godly wingman. Because he reminds Boaz that, yes, she's a Moabitess. Yes, she came from Moab. Yes, she came out of Moab with Naomi. Now she's walking humbly. Now she's serving, even when she doesn't have to. Now look at her working hard and gleaning the fields. Can you imagine if you had somebody setting you up like that? Yeah, we know what they were like before, but look at them now. Look at you now, right? Somebody turned to you. Somebody turned to somebody next to them. <laughs> and say, this one's a keeper. Oh, come on. Somebody turn to somebody next to them and say, this one's a keeper. All right? 
All right, so let's see if you guys still got that call, call back here that I did earlier. Set up. Set up. All right, that was awesome. So God sets us up by his grace. And just like James, I have my own little kind of story of setup that God did in my life. Last summer when I moved to Calgary, or earlier that summer, I just so happened to decide not to go back to school for my fourth year. I was going to go into my fourth program, and I was just really, really confused. I didn't really have anything. So I moved back to Calgary, and I looked up. I was just hungry for a relationship with Jesus and to see him active in my life. So I looked up on Google um, churches in Calgary with spiritual gifts and a relationship with Jesus. And the first thing that just so happened to pop up was Love City. Just like I mentioned earlier in my prayer, Love City was the just so happened for me, that first little Google search. And my first Sunday, I just so happened to meet Pastors Ryan and Stephanie, who just so happened to challenge my motivations for my year. I told them I was only going to be here for eight months. I was going to go off to the school in the States and learn all about God there, but this was just kind of an in-between thing. And Pastor Ryan looked at me, and he was like, I'm going to challenge you. And I was like, okay. <laughs> and he was like, I think you can experience the relationship with Jesus you're looking for right here. You don't have to go anywhere. And then I just so happened to be praying as I came to Calgary to be able to work with youth. And I tried so hard at a couple of different companies to get in to volunteer with youth. And it just so happened Courtney and Peter had just started our youth group and were looking for other leaders. So it's like, heck yes, I'm going to come in. So I stepped into that. I leaned in to this kind of grace that God had just so happened to set up for me, which then led me, just so happened to lead me to here where I am today to be able to tell you that God's grace wants to set you up. Yeah. And that's why I'm confident, that's why James, Pastor James is confident that God wants to set you up today with something more than you can even imagine and more, better than what you can plan for yourself. Amen. So God sets us up. But what exactly does his grace set us up for? So first, his grace sets you up for what you need today. So notice in Ruth's story in, in verse 8, Boaz said to Ruth, My daughter, listen to me. Don't go and glean in another field. Don't go away from here. Stay here with my servant girls. Watch and learn what they do. Get whatever you need. Just stay here in this field. So for that day, Ruth needed somebody to provide for her. She needs somebody to protect her. She, need, she needed somebody to give her the grace and the opportunity to watch and learn what it meant to live and work in Israel. Because she's from Moab. She's a sinner. <laughs> she doesn't know how to serve God. She does, she's just trying to do it as honestly as she can, right? And so God provided Boaz for her to give her the grace that she needed that day. But get this, she couldn't leave the field. He said, stay here, because he knew what he could do for her. So she couldn't leave. She could have if it was her choice, but he was asking her, don't leave. This has got what you need for today. Yeah. And she didn't know this at the time, but not only was God setting her up for that one thing for that day, but he was also setting her up for her lifetime. Spoiler alert, we found this, find this out later in, in chapter two. Naomi, when Ruth got, gets home, Naomi said, Lord bless Boaz. He has not stopped showing his kindness to the living so those who got it all together, and the dead, those who don't got it all together. That man is our close relative. He is one of our kinsmen redeemers. So just like Pastor Randall talked about last week, our kinsman redeemer is a chosen person in a family whose role was to rescue... Oh, you can go to the next slide there. 
so we can all follow along. Ah, perfect. So a chosen person in a family whose role was to rescue his relatives by paying their debts, recovering their land, and if something should happen to a member of the family, their role was to free them from bondage. So if they screwed up in any way, their role was to go where they are, pay whatever ransom needed to be so they could be free, even if they didn't deserve it, even if they deserved to be in captivity. So but, but to fulfill this role, they had to be willing to save and able to do it. So Boaz here, first he has the authority to save Ruth because he's the chosen person to save her. He was chosen before Naomi and Elimelech left Israel in the first place. So this is set up way before the Ruth story happens. Second, he's able to. He has the position in the family, but also we know he has the position in society. He has the wealth needed to provide for her. He has the field, the workers, everything he has or would need to take care of her, he has. But like Pastor James said, not only was he able, but he's also willing because he could relate to her past, right? Moab is a place of prostitution in the old Bible days. Not good. They don't follow God. They worship idols. And Boaz's mom, Rahab, was a prostitute. So Boaz knows what it's like to go through a transition of once living in this life of sin over here, choosing a different direction, just like Ruth did, and trying your hardest to make it in this new life and to try to get reoriented. So he's willing to save her because he knows exactly what she's going through and where she came from. And so this picture with Boaz is what God's picture for our, our relationship with Jesus. In Hebrews chapter 2, next slide there, Hebrews chapter 2, it says that since the children are made of flesh and blood, it's logical that the Savior took on flesh and blood in order to rescue them by his death. By embracing death, taking it into himself, he destroyed the devil's hold on death and freed all who cower through life, scared of death to death. Scared to death, of death. There it is. It was for people like us, children of Abraham, that's why he had to enter into every detail in human life. He had to know our story. He had to know the transition we'd be going through. Then, when he came before God as high priest to get rid of the people's sins, he would have already experienced it all himself. All the pain, all the testing, and would be able to help where help was needed. So just like, I should have mentioned this before, but I forgot. So notice what Pastor James said is that God sets you up for a legacy. And notice how Ruth's legacy is a relationship with Boaz. That was her lifetime grace that could take her from this place of living in sin and having nothing to a place of being able to live life freely in a, in a land that she didn't deserve as one of God's people. So it's the same way with us. God's grace sets us up for a relationship. Our relationship with Jesus, our kinsman with Redeemer, is our legacy. Can you say Jesus is our legacy? Jesus is our legacy. <laughs> That's awesome. So Jesus fits all of the qualities of the kinsman redeemer. He has to be from the same family. He's fully human. Got that? He has to be chosen. James said, before the world began, God chose you to be a, children, a child of God through Christ. So before time began, for eternity, Jesus was chosen to be our kinsman redeemer. Got that. He has the authority. He's the son of God. <laughs> Got that. He's God himself. Yep. And he's able. He relates to our struggle. He has the position next to God to say, 
God, I cover these people. He is a high priest. He's right beside the Father's right hand, vouching for us and saying, bless those people. I know what they're going through. I know you love them. We got to take care of them. And then he's willing because he loves us. He always has and he wants to help us. So our grace comes, our unfailing grace comes in relationship. It's the grace that we will have for our lifetime. Not only for today, not only to get through the good times and the bad, but it's grace for your whole life and into eternity. That's pretty cool. So cool. Okay. (laughs) So the next thing, so God's grace sets us up for our legacy for eternity. He sets you up for a relationship with Jesus. But notice, like with Ruth's story, first we have to choose to live for God. In order to unlock all the rest of this legacy, all the rest of the grace, we've got to choose our direction. We've got to choose to live for God. And just like Ruth, when she got to this new place after choosing to follow God, she chose to follow the people who knew what they were doing. She got a people who knew how to live for God around her, and she just did what they did. She took the first step that she could into the life she knew God had for her. It's not about having it right now. It's not about feeling it right now, but it's doing what you can to move towards what God has for you and what you know he has for you. Oh, amen. I heard that. Amen. Thank you. <laughs> so Ruth 2.10, at this she bowed with her face to the ground, and she exclaimed, why have I found such favor in your eyes that you notice me, a foreigner? So Ruth discounts herself as unworthy of God's grace. I don't know if you guys have ever been in that situation where all of a sudden you're receiving this grace, and you're like, why me? I don't deserve this. I felt that. I come from a broken and crummy past too, you know? And so we tend to say, who am I to receive this? Why even notice me? You've made a mistake. God's grace is meant for all those good people, all those people over on the left-hand side, but the right-hand side people, we're, we're too far gone. We're not good enough. But notice Booth, or not Boaz's response. He says, I've been told all about what you've done for your mother-in-law since your husband died how you left your father and mother and your homeland and came to live with a people you didn't know. You chose to come here and you chose to take refuge under the wings of the Lord. So he's saying, I don't define you from where you come from. You're not worthy of my grace because of where you come from or you're not unworthy of my grace because of where you come from. He says, you're worthy of of the grace I want to give you today because you chose the direction of the living God. You chose to sacrifice Give up anything in this life of sin, everything that made you all kind of up in there, full of like having a full life, having everything you needed. You chose to sacrifice all of that to move over here for an old widow and to learn what it meant to live for God. He says, I don't define you by your past, but my grace is coming to you because of the direction you chose. So God's grace doesn't disqualify us because of our past. Ephesians 1, 4-5 says that even before he made the world, God loved us and chose us in Christ to be holy and without fault in his eyes. It was God's choice, not our qualifications that gave us grace. God decided in advance to adopt us into his own family by bringing us to himself through Jesus. This is what he wanted to do, and it gave him great pleasure. Ephesians 2, 8, God saved you by his grace when you believed. Notice first, God saved you by his grace when you chose the direction. 
right? And you can't take credit for this. It's not about your qualifications. Not if you're righteous or unrighteous. It's a gift from God. So God's grace doesn't define us according to the life that we come from, but we're defined, God's grace defines us by his love. (coughs) Period. End of story. Can you say, God defines me by his love? God defines me by his love. Right on. So good. So we begin to receive this grace by choosing to live for him. That just unlocks the first little bit of grace and surrendering our lives to Jesus. It's not because we do good things or follow the rules. It's not, we are not unqual- we're not unqualified for it because we didn't follow the rules and we're not righteous, right? Or we didn't grow up in church or whatever. His grace is offered because of his heart, not what we do with our hands. Yeah. Notice that. So fourth thing is God sets you up for success. Ruth 2.15 says, as she got up to glean, she leaned in, she got to work, Boaz gave orders to his men, even if she gathers among the sheaves, the places where grain hoardy is and she shouldn't be gathering there, don't embarrass her. Rather, pull out some stalks for her from the bundles and leave them for her to pick up. Don't rebuke her. Boaz is still committing to watch over you. Notice this, when you take that initial step into the place of grace, God doesn't just leave you there stranded to say, okay, go figure it out. He's saying, wherever you go, As long as you remain in this place, my favor is going to be there. You're going to get what you need as long as you stay in this place and as long as you keep leaning in. So, once we've received this grace and God starts pouring it on on us, how do we respond to it? Ruth shows us first as we respond to it with humility. Ruth 2.13, May I continue to find favor in your eyes, my Lord. She said, You have given me comfort and have spoken kindly to your servant. Though I do not have the standing of one of your servant girls, she's, I'm not even a person who works for you. I might not even be a Christian yet. But here you are telling me that I have favor in your eyes. Well, 